The following episode of Fusion Health Radio contains mature content and explicit language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello, I'm Anthony Sana. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 55, Pornography and Modern Sexuality. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fusion Health Radio and welcome if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with that guy, <laughs> Dr. Michael Smith. Uh, today's topic is uh, something of a um, different uh, focus for us here on Fusion Health Radio, uh, but I think it relates in some way to the um, uh, the topic of addiction, which is how we've been uh, uh, addressing things in the, the past uh, couple of episodes. Uh, Michael, do you want to give us a sort of a brief synopsis about the, uh, the last episode that we did, which was um, resolving addiction? Was that it? No, it was the three whys of addiction. Yeah, yeah so it's called the three whys of addiction, and it was uh, kind, of, kind of a nice, gentle, sprawling conversation, just essentially about the, the context of why it is people need to compensate for stress or loneliness or trauma, uh, the different uh, ways most people kind of get caught up with addiction, uh, not just behaviorally, but biochemically. And then we just spent some time getting into some real practical ways to uh, look at things in our lifestyle, you know, especially highly stimulant things like say sugar, caffeine, or uh, sedatives like alcohol and, uh, you know, a lot of pharmaceuticals that are out there. Because when you get a sense of the chemistry of, of how these things can kind of hook us in, it, it gives you, I think, just a natural pathway or a ro little roadmap, a little treasure map for your way out of that situation. Whereas if you're hooked into it and you're not really sort of aware of uh, the forces involved, you're, you're naturally just going to be more likely to feel it at your wits end, you know, and that's, that's where addiction really gets people, you know, in the sense of hitting bottom. So whatever the opposite of at your wits end is, is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was uh, very uh, interesting uh, as I think most of the podcasts are that we do <laughs> um, to uh, sort of expand on the whole idea of addiction and really understand, um, I guess, the whys and how it all works, uh, I guess, uh, both in the body and I guess uh, maybe even spiritually or physi physiological physically what's the word physiologically I think <laughs> <laughs> thanks how many years of college did it take for you to get that word <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of us who are uneducated in those departments um, the uh, the idea of um, uh, addiction as uh, Michael and I came to actually um, plan out the, the idea of talking about it, uh, one of the things that uh, we thought we could do a podcast on and uh, kind of scared the crap out of, I think, both of us was actually wanting to talk about the idea of pornography. Um, and uh, how do we talk about it? Uh, Michael and I are pretty good friends, and uh, how we talk on Mike is uh, somewhat... Um, uh, educational. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I was going to say something good, uh, more educational and more sort of giving and that sort of stuff. And, uh, we didn't want to make this, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, guys talking in a locker room, uh, locker room kind of, uh, conversation. So, um, uh, that said, we are talking about, uh, pornography and sexuality and, uh, Michael and Holly decided that if we're going to talk in that manner, uh, we should talk frankly. 
and there might be a few little uh, F-bombs here and there and uh, other four-letter words. Um, so as I said it earlier, there's going to be some uh, uh, big ideas shared, some mature content around pornography and sexuality, as well as uh, the language might be a, a little bit different than uh, you're used to, used to hearing with us here. And I think I'll, I'll speak to this on, in the same way, but in maybe from a slightly different direction, because if this is going to be an adult conversation, and I don't think there's an if <laughs> really to that. So given that the next hopefully hour of our shared experience is going to be about something very adult and uh, necessarily explicit, you know, just in the sense of, you know, that doesn't make sense to come up with a whole new language for what people do in bedrooms and bathrooms and our places, but... Uh, because we're going to take this to that more, I think, adult level, I, I guess I'm also going to just sort of throw out the opportunity here is, you know, with your permission, I'm going to be a little bit pushy about some of the foibles our culture is kind of happily and passively watching to see how bad they're going to get. Because, you know, if in any way my experience as a clinician, as a researcher, obviously as a person in the world, uh, has any insight for anybody else, this is a subject where we definitely need, you know, to, to get the spanking, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of, uh, in, in a way where, I mean, because usually I'm, I'm very kind, patient, you know, uh, communicator. I don't want to, you know, steamroll anybody, but in, in this situation, because it is funny to say out loud, I mean, if the spankings are going to come, I want to be really clear with people that there's some really effed up shit that we have bought into as, as a sexual culture that I really don't think is, is in the long term going to help us as conscious people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in my own way, I've got my own experience with, um, I'm making air quotes here, research uh, around <laughs> pornography, um, both, uh, as somebody who's, uh, viewed porn and as somebody who's actually, uh, done reading and understanding about it, uh, with my own, uh, sort of, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, introspection around, uh, why am I doing this? And Ooh, this makes me feel gross and, uh, I don't want to be here anymore. So, uh, the conversation's going to, I think be, um, well, interesting to say the least. Well, let's, let's just make sure it's as honest and, and, uh, I'm not going to say far reaching, but definitely, I can't help myself because I want to like make some funny jokes here. We should really penetrate to the core of the issue, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. I did get that out of my system. Thanks. <laughs> that's it. You're done. Yeah. I, hopefully the bad jokes are over. Yeah. You, you want a cigarette? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> okay. Good start. <laughs> we're off to a great start here. And uh, if we're giggling and nervous, it's probably because we're giggling and nervous. So. Uh, this is about as real as it gets around uh, <laughs> yeah. Fusion House Radio. Um, pornography and modern sexuality. I read an article the other day um, that talked about uh, how uh, teenage boys are experiencing the world and um, how they, um, they just don't know how to be in the world anymore. And uh, to a large degree, um, this article was talking about uh, it's due to their um, easy access to porn. Um, and how that's affected them to the point where they don't know how to interact with themselves, uh, be in relationship with themselves, let alone be in relationship with others, let alone be in relationships with um, their little growing minds around sexuality, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it was curious to me because it's totally different uh, for them as teenagers than it was for me as a teenager. 
um, the world of porn for me occupied, uh, you know, the lower drawer of my brother's dresser with, <laughs> a, with a few old skin magazines, right? Um, totally different than being able to just pick up my iPhone and Google boobs yeah, right. and, and find stuff or call up one of those uh, streaming sites like YouPorn or Pornhub or that sort of thing. Um, so I, I have my own sort of uh, perspective and ideas around uh, what you wanted to talk about today, but it wasn't quite clear about uh, how you wanted to start the conversation. Well, I guess because I'm, uh, you know, an educator uh, specifically around, you know, clinical stuff, the first thing that I almost always want to speak to is just the context, you know, like what what is the meaning of this or what is this in nature or, you know, from a simple I don't know, instinctual point of view, what, what, what's the deal here? Because that's always where the, the meaning and the, the kind of human element starts. Because, you know, I could start rattling off crazy statistics on uh, the use of pornography, the effect it has on, you know, marriages and stuff like that. Um, but th those facts are just facts. They don't really mean anything to a person who isn't um, in some way identified with those statistics, right? Mm -hmm. So... The thing when I speak um, about sexuality and as a public speaker, it's something that comes up every once in a while. Um, the first thing I ask people to do is just take a moment and, and maybe try and re-remember your sexual initiation into, into life. Because if you look back at how it happened, that's how it happened. But if you were to take that in, say, the context of more... I guess ancestral evolutionary sort of cultures and stuff, the way that people would more of an... Uh, historically and hopefully um, more consciously have engaged in a kind of sexual initiation. So the, <clears throat> the, the thing that I think is the, the most glaringly different, you know, in the sense of what people have done in the past, at least as far as we know, and what people are doing, I guess, when you and I were coming into the world in that way, um, really just has to do with the sort of impatience and the the urgency to get the experience over with. And that's true in, in a way for both men and women, although it's meaningful in different ways for men and women, uh, especially in modern culture. So the thing I ask people to imagine is, you know, if we're going to use our kind of, again, memory to re-remember your, your sexual initiation, what would your life be like if your first sexual experience was with a friend? Like, I don't know, and just like second cousin or whatever might creep people out because you're thinking of some kind of incest thing. But just someone who's been around your family, you know, neighborhood friend, you know, lives across the street since you were seven. And you've, you know, probably seen each other go through enough uh, ups and downs in terms of social interaction and going from child to early adult that the awkwardness is actually kind of like, well, duh, <laughs> you know, no one's done this before. And, uh... Uh, I often actually even make the example of saying, well, I'm just going to take my finger and put this in your nose if that's okay. And I've done this in the clinic probably, I don't know, 500 times in my career where I'm just saying, so this, this is just a physical metaphor for sex. I just put a part of my, you know, body into a, you know, relative orifice of your body. And on a certain goofy level, that could be considered a kind of sex or a kind of foreplay anyway. So it's to try and bring that kind of goofy humor into the situation where you're like, well, if you've never done this before and you're hanging out with somebody you've known for most of your childhood and they are, you could say, a, a, a mirror of, of the world that you live in and yourself in it and, and, you know, them as well, 
I wouldn't say the innocence, but the permission to be as goofy as it, it turns out to, to need to be is still there. When you're not allowed to be silly and curious and, and make mistakes, of course you're going to want to be impatient and drunk and get it over with. Because if you don't know, and in nowadays obviously pornography, we, we think we, we know because we have seen other people doing something on a computer screen before we got to try it ourselves, but it's still contextually a very very different experience because if you're like wow you know this is the first time i've tried to play the uh, like if you ever jam with a band for the first time or something how do you know <laughs> mm-hmm. right and it's to 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 reframe that because overwhelmingly i think it's over 80 percent of uh sexual initiation experiences especially for young women uh, but, but almost the same for young men is in a highly pressured social environment, almost always involving some kind of inebriation and, uh, a fairly clumsy, you know, impatient, um, you know, just opportunity to see what, you know, happens afterwards. And a lot of us, it's kind of like, oh, who am I going to be after I do that? Like, cause I'm going to be, I'm going to be changed now. Am I going to like be somebody else? And, you know, so we're already living beyond the experience before we even start the experience. So again, contextually there's that. And this is worth bringing up, although I don't, you know, I'm not suggesting this would be something to try and manufacture in the world, but there are some cultures where, uh, as you come into sexual maturity, um, there would be a kind of an older person in your extended family who might be the person who's just really into sex and would be very, very happy to take, you know, you know, say your, you know, 35 year old distant aunt from, you know, twice removed or whatever, uh, who's sort of like the, that kind of kooky lady who just likes to, you know, spend a lot of time in, in her life, you know, being sexual with people. And she may have, you know, taken on that role of being kind of a sexual mentor to younger men in her community where she's like, well, if you guys want to know how to, you know, do this, I'll show you how and make sure you go off into the world and, you know, maybe become better lovers for women. And I think that's, that's sort of a, a thing that has happened in some cultures. And I think it gets exaggerated by people, uh, who fantasize about the idea of placing themselves in the world as some kind of sexual mentor or something. But it, it is worth saying that, you know, there are, uh, historically cultures that would say, well, you know, if you're going to do this, you might as well talk to somebody who's, you know, been at it for a couple of decades to, you know, get you through the basics and make sure you're, you know, you're comfortable with the whole thing. Sure. But, but either way, you know, it's relatively, I don't want to use the word familial, but it's, it's relatively within your, uh, neighborhood, you know, it's, it's, it's within the proximity of normal and, and playful. But, you know, and if it's not, you know, your, your, your first sexual initiation experience was, you know, get it over with. Now I'm something else. And, and now what? I mean, you've already started trying to fulfill something with a hollow experience. Mm-hmm. You know, as you say that, it uh, reminds me of the story that uh, I've heard my dad say that um, there was actually um, where he grew up in Italy. Um, the government had control of tobacco, salt, and the whorehouses. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, the salt and tobacco was, you know, basically a, a tax grab or a money grab kind of thing. And the whorehouse, uh, for him, as he described it as a kid, was just kind of like, oh, there's that house. You know, that's where that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And they all knew. Even before they knew what the house was really for, they kind of knew what it was. Uh, they were told what it was. Um but it wasn't until they actually got older that all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's what that is, right? Um, that's about as far as the story went. 
Yeah, and that's, that's, I think, in the last couple of centuries, a very common pattern with relatively affluent uh, parts of culture where, you know, the uncle would take the son and say, we're going to go for a little tour, maybe go play baseball in the park. And, you know, the, the ride would actually be to, a, you know, a brothel of some kind. Yeah, and, sure. But again, I mean, that's a really unique uh, initiation for that young man. You know, okay, oh, yeah. so I'm going to go to that place where you pay for sex. And it, again, clumsy, impatient, probably drunk. So, uh, and I'm, this is not some preachy right or wrong thing. I'm just trying to bring out the, the glaring distinction between, you know, the actual courage to put your finger up somebody's nose just to see what the hell happens and deal with the, the laughter and buffoonery of life, you know, as it actually happens, or try and control it through a kind of urgency or hierarchy or power or money, mm -hmm. you know, because obviously as we speak about this, the it's almost an innate in these conversations that we speak about the male sexual initiation because we're the, you know, the erect penis seeking any possible entry into the feminine, you know, on every possible level of metaphor. So, um, you know, I think it's a natural thing to start there, but when you look at the, you know, the feminine experience of sexual orientation, uh, statistically, it's a really, really different thing because men pursue women uh, are around what we would consider like a statistical, you know, oh, you're a nine, you're a six, you're a five or whatever that scale is. So, you know, if you took 10 women and put them across that scale as unfriendly as, you know, that is to imagine, 90% of all men are going to try and, you know, find a way to have sexual access to the top three, hmm. right? And that's, you know, the bottom seven, whatever, you know, and I feel uncomfortable even saying that out loud in a way, but uh, there are people who are probably going to try and find other strategies as young women to try and get the kind of social access, sexual attention that uh, other women are getting because that is now perceived as normal. So what they may or may not choose to do to reach uh, in, into the fray of, of the sniffing, <laughs> you know, young men looking for opportunities, you know, that, that tilts the thing, you know, in, in a different way. And actually I'm reminded of this experience because I think it was the first time I was in a room with other human beings having sex without having in any way planned that. I was probably 16 or 17 at a house party and it was a glaring example of what I'm talking about. Cause I was sitting in a chair next to this uh, woman, young woman, I guess we're all kids, but you know, try not to think about us as kids. Um, I think most of us were sexually active in some way at the time, uh, in the sense of our sexual maturity, but I'm sitting there trying to make friends with this woman I've kind of, uh, fantasized about and it's a party. So this is the chance. Uh, and then there's a couple of other people across the room on this other couch. And I realized after, you know, just sitting and talking that things have changed, you know, in the sense of position and movement and behavior. And all of a sudden I realized that that one really awkward young man who's really, really got the, just the stubborn wherewithal to just keep banging his forehead into the social world to get what he wanted, um, which I didn't have that kind of stubbornness. I was still trying to be like, hi, how's it going? <laughs> Not sure what I'm supposed to do, but hi. Uh, I guess he had just, you know, really pushed the envelope and he was with a, a one that, uh, you know, in the sense of, you know, modern culture and parlance would have been about a four, you know, of, of, um, you know, whatever that was about at that time. And it was probably the mid eighties or something anyway. Uh, so they're underneath of a sleeping bag on the couch, you know, 10 feet away having sex. And I'm going, huh, that's really interesting that, you know, for me being a, I don't know, average, average attractive guy, but not... Um, 
don't know, haunted by that inner or whatever, but you know, if you do okay with that, just going like, wow, I'm sitting here being all shy and goofy and, and the people who are actually getting, you know, some action in this situation are the ones that are just being super overt because they're not in that same sort of social sense of what's, you know, what's supposed to happen or kind of the game you're supposed to play, I guess. I must've thrown you for a bit of a loop. It was just sort of a really weird thing of like, I mean, part of the mind is like, wow, that's unfair, <laughs> you know, yeah. or that's this or that's that. And obviously that put a very different, again, to use the word context, uh, change in the conversation of how I was having with the woman beside me, because clearly what all conversations in that room are going to be about for the next little while is <laughs> trying not to, you know, uh, obsess over, you know, looking at the romping elephants in the room, so to speak. You know, God, actually, that's funny about three different ways right now. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just, you know, trying to bring that up is the, all those pressures change the way we actually imagine that we can fit into our sexual initiation. And I'll bring up something uh, just in the sense of, from that experience, things I've heard of in, in my clinical practice uh, around how especially young women, uh, very young men are being uh, initiated into sexual uh, maturity now. And, uh, I think I first started hearing about this about three or four years ago. So I have no idea how long it's been a thing, but you know, I was pretty surprised when I first heard about it and it's called a rainbow party. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. A rainbow party. So a rainbow party is, I understand it is, you know, young women about 16, 17 try and, uh, corral girls that are like 14 or 15 into coming to a party. Okay. And the men who are invited to the party are aware that it's a rainbow party. So they all bring some brand new white, you know, fancy boxer shorts. And as the party gets going and the drugs start flowing or the booze starts flowing, the idea is that the older girls try and get the younger girls uh, to choose, you know, some very glaring, you know, color of lipstick. And every girl gets a different color of lipstick. Uh, they put that on their mouth, obviously, and then they perform oral sex on as many of the young men as they can, rubbing their lipstick onto their shorts. So the men can go home, well, 15, 16, 17 year old boys really, uh, can go home with this, you know, trophy of how many, you know, women in his peer group uh, have, you know, provided at least, you know, some number of moments of, you know, oral pleasure in that way, you know, and I'm not trying to come off with some opinion about that. And cause I mean, on, on a certain level, I think as the older adults, we have to recognize that sexual culture is a very fluid thing and whatever young people are going to come up with is, is their culture. And all we can do is, you know, I don't know, in Scratch, scratch our heads and go, well, what the hell was that? Holy in a calm, patient voice go, and if you ever want to talk about that, Billy, I'm happy to sit down and, you know, help you unravel what just happened because I can't imagine that being healthy for our, any of the young women involved or the young men who are now, you know, in this very weird abstract situation that's the absolute opposite of all of human evolutionary history. It's so bizarre to consider, uh, okay, I'm you know, this close to being 50. And I think back to what it was like when I was a kid. You're as old as I am. Yep. And uh, to be uh, in a room or in an environment where uh, more than one other person in the room, <laughs> other than the person you're talking to, um, has actually got anything to do with any kind of sex or sexuality is totally bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's totally uh, foreign thinking to me. So to, so, to, so to put that image of the rainbow party in my mind's eye is kind of like, really? What the hell is that? 
Yeah, and I use that as an example when I talk about this stuff with people because it's a glaring exaggeration of the actual pathology of the overuse of porn, especially if you're a young person, especially if you're a young man. Mm -hmm. uh, we had this conversation about, I don't know, maybe three or four podcasts ago about the effect of screens on, on young people in the sense of uh, just even understanding body language and why a lot of the, you know, what we now judgingly call snowflake millennials is, I'm not sure if that's the term, but pe people who just don't seem to be able to put up or tolerate the, the same amount of social stress and, mm -hmm. and, and conflict and stuff that, that we, I don't know, we grew up with or something like that. Right. And I mean, society's changed, so I'm not, you know, trying to say that modern people are bad or weak. It's just a different situation in, in that one way because of how screens have affected, uh, I mean, the average experience of interacting with other humans. So if, if we take that and go, wow, that's really different and it's changed people a lot. What if we take young people, especially young men, um, but, you know, I think it has to do with more about sexually being aggressive, not just male or female. And, um, when you can go from, this is the most awkward patient, weird thing that's ever going to happen in my life to, oh yeah, well I can, you know, do black anal at 11 and then we'll do, you know, teen cheerleader at two thirty, and then, you know, whatever else, because, uh, you know, again, I'm imagining a 15 year old kid with his, you know, iPad or his laptop, um, doing what 15-year-old, you know, men would do with that opportunity. But again, it's the entitlement, the impatience, the clumsiness, the what I would consider almost a scavenger mentality around the whole thing. Because uh, you're just taking what you want. And, and if you can get that uh, at, you know, that kind of immediacy, then you walk out into the real world where people are, you know, again, there's that whole scale of, you know, there's the three out of 10 women who get 90% of the attention, right? So you walk out of there as an entitled, belligerent, impatient, clumsy person who thinks you have some kind of sexual, you know, experience and access and, and maybe some kind of capacity or whatever. So now you're an arrogant little impatient shit running around there trying to, you know, get, get attention in a way. And if you can get someone's attention, we flip it over to the female experience you know, women watch porn because they want to understand what, you know, their lovers want. And they may be interested in watching that too. Although statistically women want more, um, the kind of interactive porn like, uh, online chats or, um, you know, things that happen on phones. Cause you know, it's funny, men are more interested in what they can do with the world or women are more interested in what they can actually experience with another person in the world. So we have you know, different orientations to a lot of things, but especially porn. But again, young women will inevitably, you know, go and click on whatever the most uh, popular streaming content is, or, you know, maybe they have some girlfriends who are older or guy friends that they can say, well, what are you playing with yourself to? And um, then they get that idea. And that, you know, we've both seen, uh, I'm sure, our fair share of internet porn. And nowadays it's really just close-ups of like incessant thrusting, ramming penis into entry, you know, that that's, that's, that's on the menu. So as young women who are again, coming into their sexual maturity and, you know, the, some young guy shows up and, you know, whoever's pursuing, whoever the projected experience is going to be entitled, uh, relatively male dominant sexual behavior of, of just, you know, 
repetitive, relentless thrusting into orifices because that's, that's the content we consume online, mm-hmm. right? In the sense of ooh, what's going to scroll up to the top of you know, internet porn. There is stuff that's going to be more, you know, silk sheets and, you know, slow motion, black and white or whatever for a more artistic experience. But that kind of pornography is typically consumed by people over 30, right? Who, who actually want to, want to get in the mood if they're going to, you know, you know, go into that, that opportunity. So, uh, first thing I, again, I, I want to just bring to everyone's attention is that your initiation into sexuality is going to define you as a sexual being to the degree that you let it. Mm-hmm. And you can keep initiating yourself into other aspects of intimacy and life, uh, because you're allowed, <laughs> you can do that anytime you want. You can initiate into being a Buddhist or a Tantra person or a, you know, whatever. So because maybe in the past things weren't a hundred percent or people who were listening may have had uh, an excessive addiction to masturbating to pornography or whatever, that that's one initiation. So if you need to change it, let's create another initiation. And that brings up the second thing I would usually talk to people about is your initiation to actual commitment and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into that, I, I just wanted to sort of, uh, catch up to you with all the different things that you're saying and the, the ideas that are sort of ping-ponging around inside of my brain here. Um, I don't really know a lot of, uh, teenage boys. Um, I encounter them uh, from time to time, um, with the different uh, work that I do around town and certainly friends. Um, I've got one friend who, uh, was concerned that, uh, his 12 year old, was um, uh, surfing porn on his iPhone. Um, not the kid's iPhone, his iPhone. And uh, when he confronted his kid about it, because he saw his data consumption go through the roof, um, the kid was actually watching uh, fishing videos on YouTube. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, part, of, part of that was funny uh, to my friend. And part of that was kind of like, oh man, if he's not watching porn, you know, like what's wrong with him? You know, he's a 12-year-old kid. He should be, you know, exploring that kind of stuff. Um, and that always struck me as kind of curious because, uh, there's that contrast and then there's, uh, other kids that I know who, um, just the way they talk, uh, their language from whatever I've seen on porn, um, they talk in that same way. They sort of engage the world in that same sort of cocky, um, the world owes me everything kind of, um, attitude. Um, and, uh, again, that's such a, such a, such a contrast to how it is, uh, I experienced anything to do with sex when I was a kid. Nothing from my parents, you know, other than uh, using your brains. Right. You know, <laughs> you know. here I am in the condom aisle looking for brains, right? Which one of these is brains? <laughs> you know, um, to, uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, uh, my imagination's a little bit, I don't know, yeah. cavalier, I guess. <laughs> and, 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 you know, not, not really having any kind of uh, uh, guidance short of uh, whatever it was I saw on paper. You know, if that was sex, um, it was about, because um, uh, I mean, porn magazines when I was, when I was a, uh, a kid were about uh, nudity. They weren't about sex. They weren't about penetration or anything like that. Nobody was jizzing on anybody's tits. Nobody was getting it in the ass. Nobody was doing any of that kind of extreme stuff that you see online today. And um, I think that it just in my own experience, when I see kids who are exposed to that sort of stuff, um, and young men, I, th- that usually comes to mind whenever I meet young people that are younger than 20. I think, how the hell are they actually navigating this world based on all that shit that they can see online? It's not going well. Yeah. 
it's and that's i mean honestly why this conversation was sort of on the menu of things to talk about mm-hmm. especially when we start talking about addiction is that uh 90% of young men between 15 and you know kind of going off to university uh they're going to be accessing pornography you know weekly I read and it's 30, 30 to 40% of young women that are doing the same thing again, although they tend to tilt more towards something that's potentially interactive. I read that in, uh, so I did a little bit of homework online looking about uh, porn statistics and found something uh, in a, a Forbes article where they said in 2016, um, if you took the amount of porn that was viewed, uh, divided that by the amount of people in the world, um, everyone in the world would have watched uh, 12.3 porn videos. Now, that's kind of, you know, wrap your head around that. You know, if everyone in the world watched porn, that would be 12.3. Well, not everyone watches porn, right? Uh, and that just sort of made me bristle a little bit. It was just like, holy shit, is it that pervasive? And then the uh, uh, the biggest company, um, uh, porn company that there is out there right now is a porn streaming site called Pornhub. Okay. And uh, based out of Montreal, um, the guy who started it was a fellow fella from the Netherlands who back in 1997 decided to um, invent a better way to stream porn online for free. <clears throat> that just snowballed into this company getting to be so big that um, at one point, 80% of the porn that was actually available online both the free stuff and the paid stuff was actually owned by this same company. This company got to be so big from all of the free access that it had uh, through that site that it started taking over all of the other um, all the other companies that were producing porn, all the other websites that were producing porn, all the other streaming sites that were producing porn to the point where there's just like, that's it. Like they totally control um, uh, what you see online when you're when you're looking at people making out, people having sex, people doing doggy style, people doing whatever the hell it is you're looking online for porn, right? Um, when I read that, I just thought, geez, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be uh, amazing to talk to that guy uh, to sort of learn what he's thinking, like to actually get a sense of what it is. And there's um, actually a, an audio book available on Audible called The Butterfly Effect. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, uh, and where uh, the, I guess the podcast host uh, actually investigates the whole idea of what happened once this guy invented online porn streaming and how it snowballed up from there, how it affected lives, how it affects society. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stats in there. It's a seven-part series. Wow. Very, very uh, illuminating and a little depressing at the same time. Um, you know, it's it's like watching a train wreck or like a car accident. You, you just can't not look. You know, your eyeballs are on it. And um, he talks about, or sorry, he talks to uh, porn producers, uh, videographers, uh, porn performers. Um, he talks to the guy who actually invented this whole thing, um, who's uh, stinking rich and uh, way okay with the whole thing. You know, uh, it's like, well, you know, I just invented the site. You know, I didn't tell people what to do with it. It's right. like, yeah, you know, I just invented the gun. I didn't tell people to shoot shoot anybody with it. Anyways. Um, so it's it's encouraging to hear you talk about uh, investigating the idea of what sexuality uh, can be um, from the sort of introductory uh, phase of sexuality because so much of what I'm seeing these days um, is how um, that introduction is totally fucked. 
Yeah, I'd like to throw maybe just a very specific kind of image into that. Sure. Because how that is, you know, strategically and, and drastically fucked is actually really, really important. And it's really, really hard for people to hear it because it brings up something in in the endeavor of being a human being that for some reason we seem tired of. So let's say, um, want to do a little... I know I'm not going to say role playing, but to just play out an idea. Sure. So let's say you, you and I are 15, um, and it's 2018 and we both have access to the internet and, you know, we both go to the same high school or whatever. Uh, say for whatever reason, one of us really decides that the pornography, masturbation, uh, stress relief, um, ownership of the moment or whatever just happens to balance out some kind of imbalance in uh, my family dynamic or something. So it's uh, kind of a itchy way for, for, for a person to kind of get off, but get through a bad day or kind of, you know, move on from, from something or to just like any other addictive behavior, just compensate for feeling crappy. Sure. Right. So that's maybe the initial impulse is, okay, I'm going to start, you know, relentlessly masturbating to my porn of choice because I need some kind of, you know, stress relief, as well as the fact I'm 15 and, you know, like a pollinating flower, just producing a lot of pollen. (laughs) (laughs) And let's say just for the, to play out the story, you know, again, same age, same school, same, you know, opportunities in the world. But for whatever reason, you know, you used to read some kind of like, science fiction hero novel that gave you a sense that men are supposed to be paladins and honorable and you know there's a a way of kind of honoring the warrior spirit and 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 the endeavor of actually not conquering a woman but but meeting her uh in in that that space of confidence and truth to uh actually show up as 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 it has always been right so um so then, you know, there's this opportunity for each of us to go and, um, try and, you know, date in the, the real world, so to speak. Now I'm going to bring up the metaphor of how wild animals, you know, grow claws. Cause you and I, in the sense of animals, 15 year old men, not quite men, but able to, uh, you know, get someone pregnant if we decided to, or we're foolish enough to you know, make that happen at 15. Um, our, our job in the world, in the natural world, is to sharpen our claws and to compete in some way and to refine and define ourselves in some way that makes us more uh, adaptable in the world, right? Because that's what would attract a mate in the animal world. Right? Sure, humans are cool and sophisticated and we have the internet, but, you know, that's been five seconds in the sense of evolutionary time. So, right. <laughs> you know, who are we really and what, what's, what's our instinctual bias? So, again, if we go back to that metaphor... Um, you know, I don't have any claws cause I've never actually even seen myself as needing to dig into the world at all. Cause I can satisfy any urge, uh, in, in minutes or less, <laughs> mm-hmm. right. And you know, the, the mirror in, in, in the analogy there you are, you know, going, you know, I'm going to go and do my push ups, and then I'm going to have my protein smoothie and then I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to, you know, you know, you're aware that you could turn on your phone or your laptop and do whatever you want, but there's a part of you that's like, I can't can't wait to actually meet a real person and actually discover <clears throat> what is inevitably my birthright in the world. Now, I'm, I'm obviously creating that polarization as I often do to, to stretch out the world in a way to make a point, but um, that's the huge loss, 
is both men and women not having to find uh, their inner adaptability, their, their, to refine their attributes, to define themselves, to build confidence through actual, you know, rites of passage and difficulty. Because if everything is right there all the time, entitlement these doesn't even mean entitlement anymore. That's just normal. I mean, mean, want, now, thanks, buy, normal. I mean, entitlements so far in the past that it would take 10 years from the light from entitlement to get to where most people are now. Just because instant gratification doesn't require entitlement anymore. It's just normal, mm-hmm. right? So again, and I'm not going off on some religious tirade, I'm just bringing up the point that uh, the biggest loss is our natural sense of confidence through natural competition to see how we actually fit into the whole thing. But now there's no need to. Right? You, you, you can be the rock star in, in your bedroom, you know, and then what? Who cares? Like, what, what meaning is left? I mean, the primary thing that defines us as a cooperative, collaborative, and yet competitive species is that we have to sharpen our goddamn claws. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's out of the picture. I mean, we're a bunch of, you know... We're domesticated animals that, that can get whatever we want now. I mean, I'm not suggesting someone set it up this way, but if I was an evil bastard, I probably would have set it up this way. Be distracted, be tired, be irrelevant, you know, don't, don't, don't develop any meaningful sense of confidence or, you know, uh, what you bring into the world because you just get whatever you want, you know, just here, here's the nipple of, of stimulation and, and whatever kind it is. And, and, you know, just please keep your credit card, you know, <laughs> fresh <laughs> <laughs> well it, it sounds like you're uh you just took a trip to the spca and you were describing you know a couple of dogs well i mean well, you know like men are dogs i guess <laughs> <laughs> but, but no but seriously you know dogs can't they, you know they don't what's the joke they don't have any opposable digits they don't have thumbs so they can't you know they can't open right. the fridge they can't they can't feed themselves they can't pick up their own shit they can't do anything for themselves right they're just like these little small happy meat suits that go around and yeah yeah, and I mean that's that's a a big metaphor for me in in the sense of capacity and quality of life is you know are you actually living your birthright you know or are you actually really showing up or have you become domesticated and are just happily you know living in the corral that you're happily paying rent for mm-hmm. you know and I mean that's more of a philosophical thing but uh, and and there's there's actually a really interesting spiritual teaching on that that we we might, might want to come back to at a later date, uh, just on what domestication does to people. But when you're domesticating yourself by muting your instinct to go out into the world to rub up against it and compete and find your place in it and hopefully find a mate in it, well, if we've lost that, I mean, it's no surprise that nobody wants to do anything anymore because that that's the primary moving force if you ask Freud of the entire universe. So turn that one off it's <laughs> yeah Back. what's what's that one cartoon where uh uh it's not futurama where uh people in in the future just exist on these little small hovering kind of chairs and they're all kind of like fat blobs i mean well i mean it seems that you know if virtual reality gets going far enough uh that, that does seem like it's on the menu of possible um, so I would like to speak quickly to the initiation into commitment and intimacy because it does, uh, it does, I think, help frame a part of the urgency and the intent behind what people choose to do with, you know, porn or not. Sure. I was going to try to bring the conversation back to that. So thanks. Uh, um, 
If you're going to look at the initiation into something like a committed relationship, which is usually going to be about uh, a relative potential for a depth of intimacy because you have the time to really, you know, unravel things and get closer. I would say that each one of those words has kind of a left foot and a right foot to it in the sense that one way you go with it might get you in, into some really difficult places. And if you follow the other foot or, you know, opportunities, you're going to end up getting kind of what you actually wanted out of the experience. So, and sometimes it's a bit of a balance of both. So if we look at the idea of commitment, you know, in the sense of how people do relationships, one of the the biggest driving forces is a sense of consistency and comfort and safety. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. We've got our little castle and we, we, you know, 2.1 kids and a white picket fence or whatever the <laughs> stats are these days. Um, but there's, that's sort of a double-edged sword, right? Cause once, once you're in your castle and you know, it's going well, if you're not doing everything you can in the sense of intimacy and commitment to enrich the inside of the castle, it becomes, uh, a, a relatively, I don't know, sexually dry environment and, and uh, intimacy dry environment because we externalize the relationship. Like, oh yeah, we're in love, it's great, and let's do this, and now we got kids and, and mortgages and bills and stuff, and especially nowadays, as long as you can keep your, your door open and your, your lawn mode or whatever it is in the sense of your little piece of the, the pie, uh, that's the defining uh, experience of the effort of your relationship is we paid our bills and, you know, we, we, we can maybe go and visit our parents someday or something. You know, I'm not trying to be all dark. I'm just saying when you, when you, when you look at modern, you know, commitment, that's sort of the first thing you have to decide, you know, apartment, house, urban, suburban, you know, how many cars <laughs> kind of practical thing. But the double-edged sword is you're creating a container, but you're also creating a prison, mm-hmm. right? In, in this sense, especially with the modern world and, you know, what pornography kind of says is out there and available and free and woohoo, um, you know, the, the prison of, of the prison gets a, gets a little bit uh, dustier and, and damper and, 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 and hollower when what's on the other side of the fence is available to you every time you go to scroll your phone in the toilet, you know, like or, or whatever, you know, just in the sense that that stimulation addiction, I don't like this experience and my culture tells me I can buy it and I'm entitled to have anything I want any moment I want it. Why in the hell am I investing in this castle and I can just go and do whatever the heck I want? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that's a shift and that's happening, you know, both for men and women in different ways. Cause you know, if it's just hard porn or if, it, if it's secretly texting, you know, your, your maybe lover someday from the other side of town, uh, you know, or all living in, but kind of out of the, the box. Um, you know, and there are people who, uh, in the process of divorce, and this is, I think 60% of divorces bring up in some way, internet pornography as, as a part of the, the problem. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a clear idea that, you know, you're technically cheating on your partner if you're effectively even having masturbatory solo sex to their, you know, whatever they're up to. Um, although I'm sure people could debate that on, you know, whatever level people like to debate stuff, but that's a, an effect on what you would consider commitment and intimacy because the first step out of the box is still inside the box. Mm-hmm. You just have all your secret friends in there. Right. Right. And then there's, you know, the other side of the commitment, which is, um, actually feeling the, I don't know what you might call the inevitable choice point, you know, of, okay, I actually am in this for the long haul and I'm really, really deeply committed to, to this connection and, or the other choice point, which is I'm truly committed to my narcissism and my entitlement. So I'm out. 
right? But there's sort of the negotiation phase where you're still playing out the, the, the thing and or you're actually doing it wholeheartedly. And then there's that kind of choice point where you're going to give up all the distractions because you're in, all in like poker, or you're out. Right. So that, that's this, this thing with the commitment is, you know, we, we take it kind of half-heartedly because you know, half, half of these things end in divorce anyway. So half-heartedly seems like a good investment. Hmm. Right. And then, you know, and again, we're all at a distance from the world because everything happens through a screen. So you, why would you take it seriously? You can just change the screen, you know. And then you look at the experience of intimacy. And again, uh, if you went on, you know, Dr. Google or whatever and said, what's the, the you know, type in intimacy definition, it's going to be something out of, I don't know, 14th century French romantic poetry about how long we've known each other and how deep we can share our secrets and, you know, how safe we are from the world because it's Bonnie and Clyde and, you know, it's our, you know, our special ride together. And obviously that's a, a big attraction to, you know, the context of intimacy and a big part of the fire of it. But having said that, it also defaults back to that kind of sense of safety, right? Trust, intimacy, safe. I can tell you my secrets. Safe. We don't have to worry about any of the outside. Safe because I know you're never going to cheat on me because it's safe because we've made all of these kind of concrete things that actually can turn intimacy off because now there's no reason to, to be, you know, flirtatious and seductive and, and, and you know, fun because, you know, meh. You know, we're, we're married now, right? So it's safe. It's done. Deal done. Um, we'll probably keep getting to know each other and, you know, we'll have sex on Sunday mornings and every second Friday you know, or, or whatever. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's one trajectory where we where intimacy can kind of head in the sense of that seems like a good place to go. And then when you get there, it's like, oh, this is no wonder people want pornography. I mean, this is not even, a, you know, an interesting marriage anymore. It's just, you know, another day, you know, done. And then there's the other side of intimacy that's really where it's powerful. And uh, this is sort of more the tantric, tantric version of, of intimacy, which is if you're actually truly uh, in a space of authentic connection with someone, uh, sexually and, and otherwise, and you trust the situation, yourself and that person enough to be unrehearsed, you might actually express yourself in a way, say sexually, that's maybe a bit more rough, a bit more tender, a bit more left, a bit more right than you ever have before. And then you have to set back from that profoundly wow, intimate, passionate experience going like, I don't know what just happened. I, it took over me or something. And you know, 99% of the time your partner's going to be, wow, that was a lot of fun because it was unrehearsed and it was unapologetic and it was, you know, deeply in the moment. And, you know, that's what's fun for both men and women is to be really deeply, intimately engaged, but it's the opposite of safe, hmm. right? So this, this is the tricky thing is that if you're an impatient, nervous, clumsy lover in the sense of your entire sexual career has felt that way because it started off with porn and, you know, drunken car sex or something. Um, you're going to naturally default to that kind of intimacy, which is going to include a lot of masturbating in the corner to porn because you're not invested in, in the real intimacy. You're invested in, in you know, that, that superficial thing. Cause you, I mean, what, where, where's your claws to, to go deeper? Like right. they're, they're blunted because you've never acted, had to sharpen them. So, so, so why risk deep intimacy when you can just go with, yeah, yeah, we're, uh, hooking up now. Yeah. Dating. Yeah. That's, that's too complicated. Right. And I don't have an opinion about whether or not that's socially a good idea or not. That's, that's the new culture. It's just interesting, the completely different direction we're going 
with the entire uh, opportunity of sexual beings, you know, because it's just getting more and more kind of like meh. There's uh, on that idea of meh uh, on Netflix. There's a, a documentary about um, uh, I was going to say kids, I guess young adults um, and spring break. I forget what the heck it's called, um, but it uh, it's an investigation into the sexuality of uh, some twenty-something year old uh, year olds um, and their attitudes towards uh, sex and sexuality. Um, and you know, spring break is woohoo! Yay! Let's go to the party. Let's go to the beach. Let's all drink. Let's all if show it, us your tits. Da, 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 da. If there's ever been like a social metaphor for adolescent, you know, drunk access and sexuality, well. Uh-huh. Well, spring break. Yeah, it, and the, and and there's that sort of there's that sort of idea that uh, um, you know I can remember as a kid thinking, oh man, wouldn't it be great to go down on spring break? Oh, there'd be lots of chicks, and oh, it would just be just the best. You know, my brain didn't actually equate the the possibility of going or the reality of what I was actually saying. You know, it was more like, oh, there's this titillating idea that spring break can, equals access to sex. Um, but this film, uh, totally destroys that sort of Pollyanna kind of, uh, attitude I had towards it because, uh, the, um, I keep wanting to call them kids because they're just, they just seem so immature, but they're, they're young adults they are in their, 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 their twenties, um, uh, or, you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever, um, where they're just, you know, walking down the beach going, hey, how you doing? Great. Yeah, those are some pretty nice tits you got there. Let's go fuck. Okay. And off they go. And then they just go back to the beach. Because for them, it's just kind of like, hey, what do you want for lunch? Oh, you want a sandwich? Yeah, sure. Here's a sandwich. Okay, thanks. See you later. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just kind of matter of fact in every day. There's no, um, uh, what's the right word? Well, to use your analogy, you know, like, there's nobody there learning to do anything with their claws. They're, 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 not, they're not sharpening their claws on anything. It's just kind of like a 3D version of, oh, I'm going to watch this kind of porn right now. Oh, and I'm going to jack off to this right now. And I'm going to watch this. And next time I'm going to bookmark that. It's just this sort of, I don't know, I hear it in my voice. I'm pissed off at, oh. at how that all is. <coughs> but it, 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 was, it was amazing to see it. And um, as much as I uh, frustrate myself with what it is I actually saw... Um, I feel like in some way I actually want to do something about that. Yeah, I mean, and, and this this is for me. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd say this gets real personal, but I, I have a a similar kind of response in in the sense that hookup culture has changed vastly uh, what it is that sex means to people in mm-hmm. the sense of meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've destroyed it. It doesn't necessarily mean that a culture that has a hookup culture in it is inherently flawed or is, you know, in the, I don't know, I can think of some political social thinkers that would be, it's the doom, it's the reefer madness, it's the end of it all, because for whatever reason, we just think that that's going to crumble society. And, you know, obviously anything's possible. I remember uh, as a teenager, one of my first, um, and this is going to sound funny as hell, uh, my first accesses to uh, what I might call social sexual orientation in the sense of uh, what choices are out there was actually reading science fiction by a guy named Robert Heinlein, who in most of his relatively adult science fiction novels, uh, they were all polyamorous families, you know, floating around in space, you know, trying to solve galactic problems or whatever. 
Um, but it was mostly just a lot of really fun, sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek, dry-witted uh, banter through most of his books that included without a lot of any kind of, I don't even think he described people kissing, never mind anything, you know, uh, beyond that. But for some reason that really kind of shifted my perspective. Like, wow, it does seem that this whole monogamous, you know, I get this one, you get somebody else, you know, pissing contest is, is a bit of a problem. Because again, you know, there, there's a part of that that gives us our claws, but there's also a part of it that just seems kind of like cavemanish compared to like the idea of the science fiction future where, of course, when we can control disease, birth control, and we all want to co-parent everybody's kids because we're no longer, you know, medieval village, you know, thinking people that, you know, I need to own stuff to be cool. You know, in that imagined utopian, I was like, wow, that'd be awesome. You know, and that's actually one of the reasons why I, I kind of invested some time into being polyamorous because I actually wanted to, to see as a, a mature emotional being, could I actually be in a bonded, intimate relationship with more than one person? But that's very, very different than a hookup culture because, you know, and I guess I've probably been around hookup culture in, in some uh, version, you know, different parts of my life. And, uh, you know, the whole point of that is to see if you can have sex with somebody and not know their name. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of part of the the scene. Hi, I'm Michael, and I'm a space pilot. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like I don't think uh, you need to know anything more about me than you know that that looks like a really nice spot over there, because there are people who who want to perceive sexuality in that way. Right. But that's just like you know I would I would say that's kind of like mutual masturbation encounters. Mm. Right, in the sense of like you described, well, I'm going to go and have, you know, a masturbatory experience, but in 3D with somebody I'll never see again. Right. And if both people are, you know, down with the experience, uh, why the hell not? But uh, I, I would say, you know, that's coming from the part of me that hopefully on some fantasy level thinks we're moving towards the utopic science fiction, you know, ideal where, you know, that whole idea of having to have a scale of how attractive people are seems kind of dumb because we're no longer, you know, primates with claws trying to fight over who gets to to be with anybody because at that level of you know utopic sexual orientation the rules would be completely different and i'm not suggesting that's where we need to go or should go but it's definitely a direction a lot of people think about going Mm -hmm. you know but since this conversation is really meant to be about pornography and, and its effect on modern sexuality, I think we've covered kind of like the, the ways that can take people off kilter as young people. Um, maybe some of the instinctual biases that are uh, keeping people in different generations kind of confused about what the other generations are doing. Um, there are a couple of very specific uh, dangers to pornography that I think on a medical level, a psychological level are worth speaking to. Right. Um, and this just has to do with, uh, whether or not we feel that sexuality should have some inherent kindness in it. Inherent kindness. Yeah. And, um, cause when you look at pornography, especially the modern penetrative, you know, kind of thing or the, the direction towards anal, which, you know, interesting statistic, every culture that goes significantly towards that form of more overt sexuality is usually at the last generation it's actually going to function like the fall of the roman empire wasn't just because of lead pipes <laughs> right it's because we were you know because they were all taking it in the ass yeah well i mean it was boys girls dogs donkeys and everybody, yeah, that's what i said right? all yeah but it's just that at a certain point and again i don't have some 
biased about this. I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm obviously just curious about what the hell's going on, right? But when you look at it, they're going, okay, so now we have this sort of modern shift in, in sexuality where it's actually being allowed to be the opposite of kind. You know, now we've got choking, now we've got anal, now we've got, uh, you know, there's always going to be a bit of BDSN because people want to play with boundaries. But when a normal sexual encounter is portrayed as uh, overtly power over another, then the idea of two people hooking up even with anonymity is, is you know, that's that's in the past already. We're so far past even just friendly hookup culture. Now we're into, you know, you know, man with enormous cock has sex with, you know, barely legal, you know, five foot tall, you know, kid girl or something like that, where... You know, the, 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 it seems that the orientation to what statistically is getting the most, uh, attention in, in, in pornography is the disparity between, oh, look at these two fun people having fun to, oh, look at that slightly edgy situation where things are really, really about power dynamics. And clearly the winner is squirt. Yeah. Right. So there's a return to a very misogynistic orientation to pornography that is not about fun anymore, unless being a real bastard to other people is your, you know, particular entryway into joy, fun. And, and, you know, again, this is meant to be about intimacy. We, we compete for sexuality, not just to make babies and to fuck. We compete for sexuality because that's the most meaningful thing that we can do is find our place in our tribe, our community, and, and, and maintain that, you know, because if you can get a mate and keep one and make kids and get them to like 18, you're a rock star mm -hmm. in, in the sense of the human world. But nowadays rock stars have a very different agenda, <laughs> right? And again, I'm not trying to tell people what's right and wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm just a curious person looking at the nature of how rapidly things have changed towards subjugative, uh, you know, punitively penetrative, completely, you know, in a way uninteresting sex. Cause, and this, this is something I'm sure, you know, anyone probably who's been at, uh, I don't know, who's been sexually active more than, well, I'd say five minutes, but maybe five years. When you actually look at male, female sexual intercourse, the repetitive thrusting pounding version of it is more for the guy than the girl by a huge amount. Hmm. Right. Cause when you really start to get into more, you know, the, the, the deep clitoral grind on the pubic bone, the deep orientation to penetration, to work on pressure up against the inner glands of a woman's vaginal canal. I mean, you, you can't do that kind of, uh, pressure interaction and be just slamming away like a cowboy on a cow. Well, let me just stop you there. I think the, um, the, the sensational aspects of porn is what actually makes it that much more compelling you know, size. Oh, that right. guy's got a huge dick. Right. Oh, she's got huge boobs. Oh, right. she's got a huge ass. Oh, she's only this tall right. only, or she's that big or whatever it is. It's all about the extremes of things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that extremity or part of that, um, <laughs> <laughs> Oop, that was a boner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part of the, part, part of the, part of the, uh, extremeness of porn is the actual, of uh, uh, going through the motions of it. You know, it's like, um, okay, yeah, sure, he's got a dick that's as big as a baseball bat, and she's got boobs that are huge, and he's slamming away, and that's just not normal. That's as not normal as, you know, the size of his dick. Right. Right? Like, it's, 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 it's this um, polarization against what, um, uh, what people would see in everyday life, right? Yeah, I, I guess that's true. And I'm not saying women don't, you know, enjoy that part of sexuality. It's, it's just very, 
that aspect of pornography is is just one sided. It's yeah. not, not not you know anyway. But the, I guess the other reason why I bring up that idea of you know more subjugative, unkind, you know, relentless, penetrative, you know, jackrabbit sex or whatever is again if we look at how pornography is affecting sexual culture right in the sense of the 21st fucking century and what we're what each of us as adults as young adults as everybody else is going to come into the world and naturally expect from our sexual experience it's now being driven by what's on you know on the menu for porn Mm -hmm. so kids are coming into the world both young men and women assuming that relatively unkind punitive thrust games is what sexuality will be and that's you know and that's what we're out you know we're going to go and get that over with now because now we have a bit better of a plan and you know that plan seems like claws so i'm going to run with that and 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 as long as i can accomplish in the world what i've seen in in in, in the computer then that's my adaptive strategy is to, is to basically repeat you know something out there and it, it's this is doing so much more harm to young women in the short term and young men in the long term, then I think we're going to, or in about 20 years, I think we're going to all step back and go, oops, whoops. So oh, damn, that really threw a whole bunch of stuff, you know, into the milieu of human conscious evolution. You know, That's not going to go well. I, I sure as fuck hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I really want you to be right on that. Yeah. And the, and the other part of this, and, and this is obvious, but it's not, um, Pornography is primarily through your visual cortex, right? When you look at the orientation of most mammals, humans have a massively more visually orientated brain than everybody else, you know, with claws, <laughs> you know, looking around at how to fit into all this thing. So when sexuality becomes primarily a visual thing, um, I mean, how many people are having sex to porn now? Because you can't really find any kind of mojo with each other because it's all about what you can see happening. How many people are in the middle of a sexual experience with an actual living human person, you know, right up there against them. And they're trying to find the right kind of video file in their memories so they can maintain a sense of being aroused and interested because their primary adaptive relationship with great sex is that picture in my head. I'm going to put you on pause there for a second. In that um, audiobook, uh, The Butterfly Effect, uh, one of the things that he discovers is um, he talks about uh, porn and statistics around uh, the health of uh, kids. Uh, the rates of erectile dysfunction, or I can't get it up, um, is greater uh, with kids uh, 16 to 24 than it is um, with um any other uh age group sorry I'm, my head's doing this fairly uncontrolled weird kind of like yeah bobble thing going like i had i can't i mean medically i'm having a hard time accepting that it's just a medical fact but uh um, so i might that's, not that's alarming yeah well okay so i'm so as much as i say that with, with certainty i didn't write it down but i know it's it's kids are they can't get it up and uh, what was the other one it was uh um, teenage pregnancies are down. Right. And why? Because nobody's getting it up and because right. they're busy jacking off into a sock or whatever, right? Well, I mean, this is uh, this came up in a conversation we had a little while ago that, you know, besides all of the metabolic factors of erectile dysfunction, one of the biggest factors, especially in, in men who are, you know, not just in it for sex in the sense of uh, wham, bam, thank you or whatever, 
the research uh, has suggested that the big, one of the biggest driving uh, influences in erectile dysfunction besides the biochemical side of things is you lose empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a natural thing for men when we become, you know, erect and we're, we're getting anywhere near orgasm is, and that's part of the fun of, you know, sexuality. You know, if you talk to women is, you know, when men start to lose control a bit, it's really the most interesting and, uh, you know, all of that. But if you're going to start losing control with your urgency to, to, to go with instinct, you're going to lose a certain amount of empathy. And if you're, you know, raised on porn, which maybe would have been a better <laughs> name for the episode, but, um, it's never about empathy. It starts with unkind, you know, relatively subjugative sex. Uh, that's about such a, a constant overstimulation to, to the head of your penis that I can't, it's not surprising that, 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 that would, you know, create that situation mm-hmm. where, you know, your, your profound loss of empathy for the person you're with would instinctually stop you from doing what you're doing because otherwise you're just fucking hurting them. Yeah. Like you're just actually sitting like, or whatever position you might imagine yourself being, imagining yourself being actually willingly unkind and potentially subjugative and hurting this person you like. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we have to, you know, now the impetus to try and find sexual access with people you don't like, or at least don't have to ever care about or remember starts to want to go up. Right. Cause now, now that operational thing is, well, I can have sex with people I can hurt. Right. But if I want to have sex with somebody I like, it's going to be tricky because my programming is to, to be punitive or harmful. Yeah. Right. And there's about 500 other ways that this, uh, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to flip through images that I have in my mind from things I've seen, you know, from gag oral sex to whatever else where the thing that seems to be the arousal factor is harm, Hmm. right? Distress. You know, I'm sure it's nice to be a bit rough when when that comes up in a thing, but to make that your actual arousal point, like it's got to be, you know, gag, gag, scream, scream, yell, yell, you're shit, I'm cool, going over and over and over again. Like, how, how's that going to make I, either uh, participants in a sexual encounter um, healthy, you know? Yeah. And, I, and again, that's saying that if that was your only style of, of sex. Yeah. Well, and I would say that there's uh, some people who actually get off on that kind of thing. I think it's a good idea once in a while to be pushy and edgy and stuff. Yeah. Because you know, that's where intimacy really happens. But it's a different thing to do that playfully with your playmate in the sense of your loving, you know, intimate partner. Because uh, why wouldn't you? I mean, you're, you've already stuck your finger up somebody's nose and you're going to see what happens to your thumb in your ear. And like, let's let's be curious and goofy as kids forever. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's got to be allowed or else, you know we're back to pornography because, you know, the, the SOP of, you know, your Sunday morning bedroom is not, not that passionate anymore. So again, I'm not suggesting we we all need to focus on something puritanical. It's just, you know, it'd be nice to have, you know, I think for most of us, a palette of opportunities with each other instead of, okay, this is what's on the menu of popular right now. So suck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, clearly this conversation would have been probably more interesting and much more vast if we had a couple of women in here with their own opinions about this kind of a thing, uh, preferably around the same age, because we would all have some really deep insight, I think, about, uh, you know, what it's, what it's been like, you know, to, to, to grow through all this. And, and the concern I have, again, as a clinician is, I mean, I got a kid, he just graduated two days ago. 
right? 18, 17? Uh, he's 17, he'll be 18 in a few months. Um, you know, so he's going to go off to university and go through all the things that, that happen in, in that way. And he's been sexually active, I think. I mean, I'm, he's my kid. I'll probably piss him off if I say something loud about him as a teenager. So, but he started younger than I did. So, um, I think that's reasonable enough to say. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm just like, you know, we, as, as a parent, as a doctor, I'm just like, wow, this I think is going to, in the long term, uh, create the conditions for, uh, our entire society to put on the brakes and, and create a, a really clear, uh, yield sign with some education for people whose act, primary education access to sexuality was pornography. Hmm. Cause that, that's not, we haven't done it that way before. It's too, it's so new. We have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, I mean, I'm just conscious of the time and just wondering if there was, uh, um, other points that you wanted to sort of bring to this whole thing because I, I wanted to share an experience that I had earlier this week. Um, I helped uh, a friend of mine, Judy, here in town, who's a, a parent coach for, for new moms to, um, I help her produce her content, put it up online, and every now and again we actually sit behind the microphones um, and do a podcast. And uh, we recorded something the other day with regards to Father's Day. And uh, dear listener, we're actually sitting here on Father's Day recording this. Uh, so happy Father's Day to go dads. <laughs> yeah, go dads or dad-like people out there. Um, the uh, and if you didn't have a dad, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some test tube babies out oh, there. Well, that's true, but I mean, just just saying. Yeah. Um, the conversation I had with Judy uh, was about a uh, was titled um, "How to Raise a Great Father," um, and uh, we talked about our. Um, our respective int- uh, sort of experience with uh, with teenagers, uh, teenage boys, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that came out of that whole conversation was uh, what's missing for boys today is any sort of uh, grounding or any sort of um, um, uh, guidance to actually show them how to be in the world, and um, part of that problem, uh, according to Judy was um, because they were never really shown how to be um, a whole person uh, when they were a kid. Um, they were encouraged to uh, to do stuff, uh, but they were never really encouraged to explore um, the more feminine aspects of who they were, or they were never really uh, shown... Um, uh, what was the example? She said, you know, if uh, Billy falls down and scrapes his knee, it's like, hey, you know, just pick that up and dust off and let's just keep going. Billy's having a fit because he's in pain and you're just like, come on, suck it up. Let's just keep going. As opposed to really acknowledging, wow, geez, that must really hurt. You know, like, are you okay? Um, Sort of uh, going into a a deeper, more caring place with boys allows them to uh, have a bigger capacity to experience the world from a more caring place, from a more intimate place, to use your words Mm. earlier. Um, Really interesting conversation we had around that sort of thing. And I wanted to bring that into whatever it is we're talking about today, almost as a that's the perfect way to cap the conversation. Cause yeah. if, if nurturance and empathy, uh, or what we would call a tend to befriend response was still, um, I call it an active requirement of socializing all people. Uh, pornography wouldn't have nearly the chance to, to mess with people, you know, the way that it can. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, I'm in no way saying pornography is evil, uh, by itself. I'm just curious 
as the what are the long-term effects of what's going to happen given where pornography is going and where our culture is going with it and that, that that's something we're going to have to work out because it's not it's just not well we're just not well with it but i think just what you just brought up is is really really important for this conversation we're having is you know i, I mentioned the idea of an, you could look at this in the sense of initiations so you know no matter where we're each at in, in this moment you know listening to this or being a part of this uh, the next step is up to you. You know, mm -hmm. what, what would balance out your previous initiations as a sexual being uh, to make them more potent? And uh, I'll be very quick in saying this, but uh, one of the jobs I've had, call it a job or hobbies or interests, uh, is actually uh, sharing the teachings of the Taoist tradition on sacred intimacy. So I feel kind of shy saying this, but yeah, I'm one of those people who've done those weekend workshops where, you know, it's all about sex and intimacy and, you know, all that stuff from a... Uh, an Eastern uh, sort of yogic tradition and, or Qigong tradition. So I'm, I'm pretty aware of some really interesting opportunities for that. So maybe in the future we could do a podcast that would be, again, kind of more on the adult side uh, to just talk about what, you know, very old cultures would have, uh, you know, what they have to say about what a healthy, mature, sexual, you know, balanced between masculine and feminine, uh, you know, experience as a sexual being. Because... I mean, if we, if we were to take a moment and decide that we're allowed to be, we're all allowed to be musicians, um, in the sense that it's just normal. Your culture is, you pick an instrument or three and, you know, you're good enough to play <clears throat> and assumed good enough to play with other people. I think, uh, on a certain level with respect to sexuality, it's the same thing. You know, as a musician, you're either going to continue to explore your instrument, your craft, and, and your ability to play with others, or you're just going to be playing, you know, that old cowboy song over and over again, like it's some kind of anthem that defines you, and everybody else has to play along who, who's playing music or being sexual with you. So, we again, we have opportunities here, you know, as free autonomous people to reinitiate ourselves. Um, in, into sexuality and intimacy, specifically with uh, the mindset of maybe repairing anything that we've, you know, glitched out because of, you know, overuse of pornography. Because mm -hmm. that, that's, that's, I mean, that would be step one for anybody is, okay, well, you overdid it. Let's see what happened and shake off some of the, you know, belief systems or the habits you've developed and start changing them into something better. I asked Judy as part of that conversation uh, off mic. We, this wasn't actually part of the podcast that we recorded, but uh, um, what she thought doing that sort of thing would actually, like being more uh, connected to uh, young boys um, on an emotional level, on a more intimate level about how it is they feel the world as opposed to how it is they actually do things in the world. Um, and I just point blank asked her, you know, how do you think that would affect kids uh, today who, you know, young boys who are so... Um, or who have uh, such easy access to porn. And she said, um, she didn't, she guessed, and she just thought that it would probably uh, prevent them from being uh, a slave to it or, you know, to be sort more mindful as to what they were doing, you know, because they would actually be able to um, have some sort of, use your word again, empathy. Yeah, and empathy them for themselves too. Yeah. Because if you can self-reflect on how you're, perceptions are changing then you're you're going to be a very self-regulating person right you're like oh man i'm turning into somebody i don't like yeah i'm gonna not do that yeah but if you're not self-reflective you're sure as shit not going to be self-regulating yeah and it, you know it, it just makes me think that uh, as much as that was a recipe for success for raising healthy boys to be better fathers 
or better men. Um, I would think that that would probably be a good recipe for anybody at any age, any man to explore, um, you know, the inner workings of the, the feeling mind, um, you know, for myself, I know that that's been a valuable thing for me to do in my life. Mm. I've been a part of uh, men's uh, teams or men's circles for a number of years where um, uh, I felt a safe space to be really intimately open and honest with these men about what was going on uh, for me in my life and all different aspects, work, love, money, sex, everything. Um, and uh, I feel like it's given me a better sense of uh, what... Uh, what's bullshit in my world and what isn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of that going around. Yeah. And, 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 you know, how to, how to better comport myself. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect by any means. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to really sort of share that, you know, um, we're, you know, I'm not the doctor here. You are. And I, I'm not trying to uh, espouse any kind of advice, but if I was going to offer something like that, um, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah. You know, um, let's all, I think, uh, pay attention to each other with the same sort of um, uh, respect, um, intimacy, empathy, all those different things you talked about. And I'll just sort of say the same thing in another way, because I've also got some experience with, uh, more from an Aboriginal point of view, about men's circles and, you know, uh, and or at least the traditional distinction between men's circles and women's circles and, and what they're about. Because in my experience with those things, it's been mostly... Um, working with men is to drive up that sense of the masculine power mm -hmm. through whatever kind of physical or, you know, practical tools that we're playing with. And then, uh, trying to convince them once they feel that power to soften it and use it, you know, to actually go into that tend to befriend and heal and, and nurture place and to realize, oh yeah, I mean, you, you can do more in the world than, you know, just be the hammer. You know, that old expression, you know, if you talk to a hammer, everything's a nail, you talk to a guy's guy and you know, everything goes a certain way, but if you can activate that sense of, you know, power and autonomy and, and, and freedom in people, men or women, uh, you know, the next thing is to, to see if we can apply it towards a more balanced thing. And, and the reason I wanted to, to say that quickly and maybe to end off with this is we all know, and then unless we're ignoring this on purpose, that all of the power with sexuality resides with women hmm. in the sense of what we're talking about power. So men go to men's circles to get some kind of sense of the masculine power because especially in the modern world, it's completely invisible, right? right? It's, it's actually meant to be kind of brushed under the, the carpet a bit now because to be overtly competitive, overtly seeking power and hierarchy in some way is now kind of out of fashion in a way. Uh, but I would say that for all, all of, well, almost all of the, you know, human endeavor, you know, young women who are coming into sexual maturity have always defined uh, us to a certain degree, uh, the negotiation between men and women around, you know, sexual access and obviously, you know, then family and kids and stuff. And a lot of this is animal instinct. So this isn't complicated stuff at all. But I think just in the same way we had talked about, uh, you know, men's groups getting men together to feel the masculine power and then use it in a more feminine way, you know, the, the encouragement around, uh, this conversation would be for women who uh, actually recognize they do hold the, the power of, of, well, authentic sexual access in, 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 in a good way. Um, so it's to be able to, to use that power in a way that's powerful because right now women have all of that 
you know, instinctual power. But as soon as it tilts from maybe, maybe to yes, it flips over into the immature masturbating porn you know, experience of, of, of intimacy again. So the, the, the actual power women have in that way, uh, is, I don't know, it, it, it's, instead of being the most enriching and, and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Instead of it being, you know, kind of like some, something akin to the ocean, you know, it's more like the picture of the ocean. Right. There, there's the actual, you know, profound power of the feminine. And then there's permission to just take it. Hmm. Right. And that, that's where the, the balance is lost. Cause now men's power is at take it instead of, you know, okay, navigate the ocean. Here's a picture, navigate the ocean. Okay. <laughs> who needs oceans? Who needs navigators? Now we're just back to exchanging pictures. Hmm. Right. And, and that's, I think the, the biggest loss to the whole thing. You know, because we're not in it for the exchange of, of energy and dynamic and intimacy and, and how scary and fun and weird it all is. We're just there to get it done. Speaking of done, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good segue or not, but uh, I'm going to take it. Um, you've been listening to Fusion Health Radio. This is uh, episode 55, Pornography and Modern Sexuality. Uh, Michael Smith and myself, Anthony Santa, today talking very frankly about sex and how that um is in the world uh these days uh great conversation with you today michael you too uh I, dear listener i encourage you to uh share if you like what you heard today um if you didn't like what you heard please let us know uh give us your comments and feedback um you can do that through our facebook channel and uh you can also do that through uh, gmail fusion health radio uh, at gmail.com uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next podcast yeah, and keep it real, folks. <laughs> as real as this. Yeah. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.